Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Well, things like exercise is what drives mitochondrial biogenesis and things like fasting occasionally, ketosis can drive mitophagy. And so it's really about that turnover of our batteries, recharging them with the food that we eat, the air that we breathe that creates this, this little, like we literally burn fuel to create energy. And that electrochemical gradient is what creates charge. And that ATP is the energy currency. So, you know, it's like money in the bank. So you want a bunch of ATP if you want to be healthy and health, it's kind of similar to how, like, if you feel like you have a bank account that's empty and you get hit with a major expense, you're broke, right? Same thing will happen in the biology. If you have poor health and you don't have a lot of energy, and you've got like dull skin and grace, you know, and no energy in the, when you wake up in the morning and then you get hit with a bad infection, you're going to set yourself up for things like chronic fatigue. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was five, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. Molly Malouf. Dr. Malouf is a best-selling author and provides health optimization and personalized medicine to high-achieving entrepreneurs, investors, and technology execs in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. We discussed the four culprits that could reduce your energy, along with her new book, Spark Factor, the secret to supercharging energy, becoming resilient, and feeling better than ever, the importance of protein and resistance training, what drives your mitochondria, optimizing your stress levels, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Molly Malouf. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And my guest today is Dr. Molly Malouf. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we were just talking off here. You went to, uh, you got your MD at uh, University of Illinois. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Totally. W what made you choose there? Um, I chose the University of Illinois because I felt like it was the cheapest undergrad you could choose that was highest quality. So <laughs> I was like, good price, great quality. Why not? Plus it was close to my parents. Okay. And you know, I love my family. So being close to them was something I, I valued. Um, and then aside from that, it was really just a matter of me being interested in, you know, um, I don't know, I guess Illinois just offered a lot. I really saw it as like a really important institution because of what it can offer for students. I mean, you could really, it's one of those schools where it's not like they don't really handhold you through it. Mm. What they do is they, um, they really just like you, you, you show up to the university of Illinois and then you choose your own adventure and anything you want, you can probably get, but you need to be the kind of person that's going to be able to like, say, okay, this is what I want to get out of my education. And I was one of those people. And I, I really feel like I was able to like genuinely get everything I wanted out of university of Illinois. I studied abroad twice. I had some wild adventures in Mexico and Spain. I designed my own major, I took jewelry classes. I took, you know, I wanted to learn how to speak and write better. So I took writing classes and um, I just like anything I wanted to learn, I could learn there. And I, I really felt like the big 10 doesn't get as much attention as Ivy leagues or even Stanford, but university of Illinois is a, is a phenomenal institution. 
And, um, you know, Mark Andreessen went there. I worked in the libraries there, worked in the history and philosophy library. I really felt like, um, it just prepared me for life and it taught me how to learn. And that was really, that's the most important thing you can get out of college is learning how to learn. Um, but yeah, I have very fond memories from university of Illinois. It's a great school. Well, good to, good to know. Um, I, uh, went to Indiana, so, but my I, my sisters but, went there. Oh, there you go. I think it's an equally good school. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, yeah. all these schools are, it's all what, just what you make of it, I guess. Right? Totally. Um, and then you taught at Stanford, correct? I did actually, um, for what three years from 2019 okay. to 20, 2019, 2021, maybe 2022. So I was like over, I was definitely, I, I, it was a lot, a lot of time there, but it was great. And, um, uh, definitely was not the college education that I got. Um, students did not do nearly as much partying as I did when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot more of a subdued campus and a lot more focused on academics. I'd say like Stanford would not be considered to like be a party school. Um, university of Illinois has a lot of partying, <laughs> but, um, but Stanford has exceptional, it's like going to, it's like going to like a country club to like go to school. It's like really, really finely manicured place. Yeah. Um, I always felt a little bit like an outsider there, to be honest with you. Cause I was like, I did not get into Stanford and I am now a teacher here. What did you and teach? I actually looked at the numbers. There's not that many teachers at Stanford. There's only a few thousand people who teach. Mm. And so I was kind of like, wow, like it's arguably a little bit more competitive to become a professor there than actually attend there. And um, mm. I was a lecturer, but they asked me to be a professor and I, and I didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't have the um, time to offer the things that they needed for, for that role, but you know, it was, it's cool. And then after that, you've written this book called the spark factor, right? Yeah. I wrote the book, the spark factor. Um, it was actually during when I was teaching, when I started writing it, it was largely the course that I taught at Stanford that inspired the book along with my medical practice, and then the work that I've done with startups. So I've had a really phenomenal, fun, exciting career. And it's been just a joy to like get to be a part of so many different movements and industries. And now as a published author, got that thing behind my belt, which is cool. Mm -hmm. It's been really fun. I know. We were saying you've been all over uh, doing tons of interviews. What What have you learned from the process? You must enjoy the process. <laughs> <laughs> you must learn to enjoy the process. So you must cognitively re- reframe any aspect of what you're doing that is not serving you in terms of maintaining positivity. And like, it can be really grueling to be on a book tour and to be traveling and to be, you know, showing up, glamming yourself up for TV appearances and having to wake up and look nice for Zoom. And there was a there was a definitely a dip before the book launched where I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait for this to be done. And then I was like, wait, what if you just changed your attitude and you enjoyed what you were doing and just started really enjoying the whole process. And then that totally flipped something. And I was like, wow, now I'm just having the best time. But like, (laughs) you can't really, um, you can't really predict what's going to happen in the world. And so I'm happy with how the book's performing and how the book's doing, but, um, you gotta keep, you gotta keep like pushing forward and promoting it and talking about it. And it's just, it was a love, definitely a labor of love for sure that I did for the world. I wanted to help people as much as possible. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, enjoying the process is important because there's all this buildup to the book, right. And the book comes out and sometimes there could be sort of a letdown, you know, after the fact, when you're done, maybe some relief, <laughs> um, 
maybe explain uh, to the listener or viewer like a little bit about the spark factor. And I know it's a lot about biohacking and with women and, and um, you know, reviving energy and vitality. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I wrote the book on biohacking for women mostly because it was because a lot of the books on biohacking have been written by men for men, but I arguably think that the majority of this book is still readable by men. Um, and in fact, for at least heteronormative men who do date women, I think that it's important for men to read this so that they understand their partners and understand what's going on in their bodies throughout the month. Cause they're, I feel like a different person depending on the week of the month and it's hormones. And so, um, I've also had a lot of friends that are biohacking guys and they're like, well, the thing that works for me doesn't work for my girlfriend. And I'm like, Ooh, I wonder why. And so I started digging into all that years ago. Cause I was like noticing that in my practice, women who are trying to do exactly the same things as men, we're not getting the same outcomes. So women have to just be a little bit more careful with our bodies and with, um, our hormones because we have different biological imperatives, whether we like it or not, like our biology is programmed for one thing, which is to survive and then connect and reproduce. And whether we have kids or not, it's not really the, like, it, it doesn't really matter because your biology wants you to have children. Like it's doing everything it can to help you survive and pass on your genes. And not everybody agrees with me on this, but this is to me like fundamental programming of life. And it's, it's like, it's, you can see it in nature. You can see it in animal life. You can see it. So when you really start looking at nature straightforwardly without like our coddled Western perspective, you realize that a lot of life is competition for resources. And a lot of life is um, protecting your kin in order to protect your tribe, in order to survive this crazy world we're living in. And it's only in the last three years, I think with the pandemic that people really started feeling like, oh, life isn't as safe as, as we thought it was growing up. You know, like I, I was in, grew up in Illinois. It was very safe at the time. It felt like a very safe place, but, um, but you know, women's bodies, when we get into a state of threat, it really can screw up our hormones and our thyroid, and it can make it really hard for us to lose weight. And, you know, specifically when women lose their estrogen, as they get older, they become less insulin sensitive and they start putting on weight more. And so it is just a challenge of being a female. We have so many different changes throughout our life. We have, you know, puberty, we have fertility years, we have pregnancies, we have, um, you know, we have like so many different things that we go through and that there's menopause. And it's just like, there's a lot to biohack as a woman. So I wanted to like give at least a preview of what I do to help people, but there's so many more things that I do than I couldn't put in this book. I wanted this book to be mass market and available for like the average reader, but I could totally write another book that's like next level biohacks, but it's, it's like some of those things are, are more cutting edge and they're not as tested. So I wanted to stick with the tried and true stuff first and then focus on the things that are less, um, less tested later. What are some of the problems that you see that women get themselves into as they age, um, whether it's done on purpose or not, you know, something like that I actually see sometimes, um, is like calorie restriction, not eating enough. What, what are the, what, you know, something like that. What are some of the issues that you see with women that happens as they age? Um, protein deficiency and lack of weightlifting is a huge one that, if you were to realize what you could do with your body as you age, like I love this woman on Instagram train with Joan. She, her daughter's a bodybuilder and she decided to start weightlifting just to like get in better shape. I mean, the transformation that she has gone through and she's in her seventies now, she looks amazing. And I'm like, 
wow, like women now have so much more knowledge than we've ever had, but yet so many women end up frail and sick and, and like totally, unfortunately, you know, like at risk for falls and that can shorten your life dramatically. And it's shortened the life of of one of my grandmothers. And so I look at it as like, I don't want to end up with the diseases of my grandparents. You know, I don't want to, I don't want Alzheimer's. I don't want any of these negative, nasty conditions. I want to live a long and healthy life. And, um, and so what I figured out was that if you want to live long and well, then you really do need to mind your mitochondria and your mitochondria are your energy producing organelles. And they also are your epigenetic regulators. So they're literally regulating your biology and what genes get expressed and when and why. And when you see that as a core facet of our, of what, what health is made from health is really our capacity and our capacitance comes from our mitochondria. It's literally a physics equation. Your health is a physics equation and nobody sees it that way because people don't think about first principles. But when you start looking at biology from physics, you start looking at like your, your biology and you start seeing it through the lens of physics, you're like, well, actually matter is, is, is like, you know, there's particles and waves, but like matter is, is not as important as energy at the end of the day. Like you got to maintain the structure, but you can't do that without energy. You, you gotta like, you know, you gotta really see it that way. And if you see the body that way, it just changes your entire worldview. It changes your view of uh, mental health. It changes your view of metabolic health. It changes your view of hormone health and they're all interconnected to our metabolism. Did you, I know you talk about a lot about energy production and mitochondrial, uh, respiration and things like that. Did you study this, uh, for a while before? Oh yeah. For years. Okay. Yeah. I, I got uh, some mentors that were mitochondrial experts and I was like, and then I just sat with papers, want papers, want papers. I was like, what are these things? How do they work? And then I was trying to like explain how they work to people in basic terms. And it's really hard to take like, what is mitochondrial biogenesis? Well, it's when you make more mitochondria, what is mitophagy? It's when you throw out the batteries that don't carry a charge. What is, you know, like, what are the things that drive those things? Well, things like exercise is what drives mitochondrial biogenesis and things like fasting occasionally ketosis can drive metophagy. And so it's really about that turnover of our batteries, recharging them with the food that we eat, the air that we breathe that creates this, this little, like we literally burn fuel to create energy. And that electrochemical gradient is what creates charge. And that ATP is the energy currency. So, you know, it's like money in the bank. So you want a bunch of ATP if you want to be healthy and health, it's kind of similar to how, like, if you feel like you have a bank account that's empty and you get hit with a major expense, you're broke, right? Same thing will happen in the biology. If you have poor health and you don't have a lot of energy, and you've got like dull skin and gray, you know, and no energy in the, when you wake up in the morning and then you get hit with a bad infection, you're going to set yourself up for things like chronic fatigue, you know? And this is this, when I figured that this is what really got me into mitochondria studying viruses. And I was like, well, I was studying mitochondria before then, but then I was like, wait, we don't understand viruses. What if we, what if I just like dug into that for a while? And so I started digging into viruses and I was like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. We do not, we are not prepared for viral plagues. And then pandemic hit like eight months later. And I was like, "Ah." Mm, there you go. You know, so 
I'm one of those doctors that like, is like, a. am not like, I think I'm an expert in health, I guess you'd say, but I'm definitely a broad generalist in many fields. And so when people talk to me, they're like, wow, you know, so many things. And I'm like, I go really deep very often on many subjects. And that's kind of why I'm not necessarily like a world-class, like, you know, nephrologist, but I, I know enough about enough fields in a deep way to be able to, um, communicate like a, a, a version of health that I think is, is unique and special that everyone else is starting to catch on to. Now, what would you say are some of the big culprits when it comes to, um, not having enough energy production? Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 what things, everyday things that get in people's ways that can, um, hamper mitochondrial, um, you know, respiration. So there's this thing called mitochondrial allostatic load, and it's the cumulative load of stress on the system before it breaks. And believe it or not, I think one of the biggest causes of mitochondrial allostatic load is psychosocial stress. It's work stress, relationship stress, and financial stress. And, and uh, doctors will tell you, we'll stop stressing so much. Well, guess what? Most doctors don't know how to in- instruct people on how to do that. So I'm doing training um, through this company called Hanu Health on how do you use heart rate variability as a biofeedback tool to develop better HRV. And, um, I'm, I'm really, I mean, like I've, I've used blood sugar monitoring to optimize my blood sugar, but my next frontier is stress. I'm like, I really want to optimize my stress levels as much as possible. And, um, yeah. So basically that's something that I've been thinking a lot about, you know, is like, how do I, um, how do I teach people that like, how do we actually show people like, this is how much stress you're under. And also like you can do better. And so I see it in my clients all the time and I work on their sleep and I work on their supplements, but, um, you know, there's like, a there's a lot going on with, with people. Did you study any of like, uh, Dr. Ray Pete's, uh, writings and his, I have read some of his stuff. Yeah. His work on. Okay. Cause I I've had, uh, Jay Feldman on, uh, it's more of like a bio bioenergetic viewpoint and it, it's, it sounds a bit similar to what you're talking about here. Yeah, totally. So, um, I noticed you talk about like different culprits that can reduce your energy capacity. And I sort of wrote those, you, you, you talked about four of them, one of them inactivity, the other one overeating, poor nutrition and too much stress and social disconnection. Uh, and then you mentioned that protein and weightlifting is a big issue with women. It, it's a big issue with men as well. Um, yeah. Do you find that what other issues do you find that pop up with women? Would undereating be one of them? Oh yeah. So there's this thing called Red S, which I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of, but it's basically when um, women are under-consuming calories for their fitness levels, and that can create a lot of problems, a lot, a lot of problems for people. And, um, and it basically causes pretty significant mitochondrial dysfunction and hormone dysfunction because you're basically stressing the body with what's it's called, it's called relative, relative energy deficiency for a reason, you know, Hmm. red S it's called. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, what type of tools can people use to help, you know, sort of, if you want to say biohack their health or, or, you know, get their mitochondrial working uh, more efficiently. Um, well, I think the big one, as I mentioned, is, you know, for, well, I, if you kind of have to think about like energy production 
from the very beginning of like when you first start eating food. So first and foremost, you have to get your digestion proper, properly functioning. Cause if you're not digesting well, then you're not absorbing and assimilating nutrients. And if you're not right. absorbing and assimilating nutrients properly, then you're not getting the fuel inside the cell. Right. And then you have to look at insulin resistance. So it's not just your gut and the processing of the fuel, but it's also the quality of the fuel. So you got to get your food quality properly, you know, dialed. And it's taken me a long, you know, a long time to realize that like, it's really not that complicated. It's actually just eat whole foods. Like, I don't care if you're vegan or keto, start with whole foods and just get off of packaged processed foods and fast foods. And then you can start adjusting your macros based on your body's needs, based on your exercise, uh, making sure you get proper amounts of protein is really fundamental. Something overlooked by a lot of doctors, something that's totally controversial in a lot of the um, longevity spaces, but I'm, I'm more of a higher, I'm a higher protein believer, but I also believe in exercise. So I don't think you can properly, I don't think it's healthy to eat large amounts of protein unless you're using it to rebuild muscle regularly. So I do fluctuate my protein levels based on my exercise activity levels, but generally speaking, protein is really one of the most cornerstone facets of your nutrition. And then you got to make sure your fats are clean and healthy and you're not eating a lot of omega-6, um, refined vegetable oils. Like I'm very, very particular about the oils that I consume. I use extra virgin olive oil, extra virgin. And I get like, and I like source these directly from farms, by the way. Um, extra version avocado oil. And then this company I'm an advisor of called, um, zero acre farms. Mm. They make a ridiculously high quality. Um, I just ordered some, I, I yeah, I've had so it before. Yeah. It's really tasty. And it's the only vegetable oil that I'm going to use now because it just doesn't make me feel sick. I actually feel genuinely unwell when I eat like fried foods and fast foods. I just, I just don't eat them anymore. Um, so after you fix your fuel, you got to make sure your carbs are properly assimilated and digested. So you got to look at your, like, does your body do well with higher fat and lower carb? Or does your body do well with lower carb or higher fat? Or does your body do well with balanced? So that's really a pretty simple way to describe macros for people. Um, I go, I do a lot of carb cycling, which is based basically like using carbs in accordance to my exercise levels and eating generally low carb otherwise. Um, and then micronutrients are really key. So even if you eat a healthy diet, even if, even if you have a good, um, even if you have like a good, uh, digestion, you still may be eating food that's nutrient deficient because of the way that soil is being depleted. So most people need to replace the top supplements, vitamin D, omega threes, you know, um, and then, uh, magnesium and, you know, B complex. That's typically what everybody gets. And then I do hair mineral, hair mineral testing, mm. micronutrient testing to look at other deficiencies and imbalances. Um, and then from there you can look at things like what does your environment look like, right? Are you, are you breathing unclean air? Are you drinking unclean water? Are you covering your body with all sorts of chemicals, um, you know, like I had my body checked recently for phthalates and other endocrine disruptors and I was high on phthalates. Great news. I got to stop doing my nails, you know, like shouldn't be like nails are just not healthy. Like, how did you get so that? How, I'm sorry. How did you get that tested? Oh, there's a company called clockwise and it's a new company. I love their, their brand. They're a great company and they do epigenetic testing for female fertility. And it was a bit of a wake up call for me. Cause I was like, oh shit, I should not be getting my nails done. And it, last year was the first year I started doing my nails like professionally. Cause I was doing a lot of appearances and I wanted them to look nice. But then I realized what's the point of this? Like they're not, it's not healthy. Like I shouldn't be doing this. Um, and then, so toxins are key. You got to get rid, rid of toxins. I, I love my natural action water purification system. 
it's phenomenal. It makes my water taste like magic. I swear to God, it's like so good. I love air doctor products for air cleaning, making sure your home gets tested for mold. You got to really avoid mold as much as you can. It's really, really common in, in, um, in vents and, and like crawl spaces. So I've had all my clients get checked for this. And then, um, there's also, uh, there's also like, I was going to add, um, you know, there's obviously like the exercise and, and, and flexibility and weightlifting, which pretty is pretty much is a given, but a lot of people don't do. Um, so try to get your, your fitness in at least your non-exercise activity thermogenesis in. Um, and then, uh, and then like, you're good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good to look at your hormones just to see like, are yeah. like last year, my stress levels were affecting my sex hormones. Like my stress levels were too high last year. So I had, I had a course correct. So my cortisol went up, my estrogen went down periods were generally okay. But I, I just knew that that wasn't a healthy pathway to be living my life. So checking your hormones occasionally, not a bad move to look at those. Um, I mean, this is pretty much functional medicine 101, you know, um, but, you know, occasionally fasting, throwing out the mitochondria that don't carry a charge or going into ketosis is really good for metabolic flexibility. And metabolic flexibility is really important for um, making sure that your liver health is functioning properly and making sure you just drain the sink regularly of the glycogen stores that you have. So occasionally draining that sink is really, really great. You don't have to do it that often, but um, I'm, I'm due for a fast. I'll probably be doing one in like a month or so, maybe when I'm done with the book tour and traveling. Um, but could you, yeah, over, I mean, could you yeah. overdo stressors last well, year? What's it? <laughs> I said, could you overdo stressors? Uh, you know, like fasting's a stressor. Yes, 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 um, yes. A big know. part of this book is like teaching people about mitohormetic stressors and mitohormesis is like mitochondrial stress that makes you stronger. It's different than my, my, mitochondrial allostatic load. Mitochondrial allostatic load is the cumulative amount of stress you have that fills up your stress cup before it overflows. So you can use mitohormesis to fill up your stress cup. But if you have a bunch of psychosocial stress on top of that, then you're going to overflow. Does that make sense? Right. So like, I don't tell people like I I'll do a little bit of cold plunging when I'm under a lot of stress, but I'm not going to do like five minutes of cold plunging. I'll do a little bit of, I mean, I love sauna and cold plunge is a great metaphor expressor. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but you, but like, I'll just give you an example. Like last week I, w- I felt like I was just not right. I was under the weather a bit and I actually yeah. have a cold plunge, uh, don't forget oregano oil. <laughs> oregano oil. This shit saved me from getting a cold. Oregano oil. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but I was just saying, so last week, you know, I usually plunge. I don't plunge every day, but uh, last week I just wasn't quite feeling right. So I just took a break from the plunging, thinking to myself, you know, why do I want to stack another stressor onto it? Maybe my body's not all, all the way ready for it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's yeah. Like, that's an important way to listen to your body. A lot of people don't do that. And then they, they, they're like, well, cold plunge makes you stronger. And I'm like, I have seen people burn out because they did 20 minute cold plunges. Well, yeah, months, I don't know. I'm know? in there for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes is all you need. Yeah. I really, yeah, exactly. You don't need much more than that. Um, what about sauna infrared? Do you ever do any of that? Oh yeah. I've got a sauna blanket. I have a sauna at my gym, just infrared sauna at my gym. Oh, nice. I'm actually thinking about going that, going tonight to that. Okay. Um, I know you talk about like biohacks for women. One of the things I saw that you talk quite a bit about is psychedelics. Maybe touch on yeah. those for a bit. Yeah. How can those play a role? Um, okay. So one of the things 
that people forget is that basically there's regular stress and then there's like traumatic stressors in the past that kind of leave emotional scars in the body. And those sometimes make you more dysfunctional because it can make you have this heightened amount of stress reactivity. So in order to turn the knob down, um, what I believe psychedelics are doing is having, helping you reformat your hard drive. It's like, let's get rid of the malware. Let's like move this into long-term memory. This is just a past experience. It doesn't need to be experienced as present. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's working on the subconscious level. And so that's where you need to do the work to get rid of trauma. And not every psychedelic experience is going to be a good experience. Um, if you're not prepared properly and you don't have the right setting the right, uh, person to do it with, but if you do it really by the book and you're really careful, it can be transformative. So I'm definitely a big proponent of psychedelics, but I'm also want people to realize they need to be more careful. They need to be really careful with these, these things, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause you keep, you do hear them coming up, um, different psychedelic companies and things like that. I was just wanted to circle back to one of the things you mentioned about water. What, what type of things can you do to sort of biohack your water to maybe help, you know, ATP produ uh, production and, you know, mitochondrial health? Um, biohacking water. Well, yeah. whether this okay. is a, like, whether this is like a, um, how do I describe it? Like whether, I mean, I want to believe this because it makes so much sense, but I sat, I sat like literally for two hours talking to this guy from natural action and it's, there's all this gobbledygook out there on structured water. Right. right. But yeah. then there's this, what I think is a very, what makes a lot of sense is like the way that water flows in nature should be the way that you drink water. Right. So it should flow in a natural pattern. We've created pipes and systems that have a lot of bunch of right angles and whether people believe this or not, there is like a physics, the, the, the way the guy that from natural action describes this is that there is a physical change to water structure, depending on how it, what it flows through. And, um, I could like literally like this guy for like hours has explained this to me. So I'm definitely not a world expert in this, okay. but if you drink spring water or water, that's from like the natural source, it tastes different than like a water bottle that's been sitting on a counter. And the theory is, is that water is more alive when it's been moved in like the way it's supposed to move in nature. It's got more oxygenation. It's got more, um, it's got like a healthier structure to it. And so I believe that natural action, the product itself, what it does is it basically takes water from your pipes, but it runs it through these, um, crystals that they, they, they get these crystals from like somewhere near the North pole. Like so they're definitely like some sort of special rock that you need to, it's like a natural rock, mm -hmm. but it's basically kind of like running the water through what it would, what it would be like if it was running through a stream. And so it, it re sort of returns it to its natural form mm -hmm. and also has a perfect, there's a purifier attached to it. So I've had people come over to my house and be like, what is your, like, what is, how is your water taste so good? Yeah. And I'm like, I know it's crazy. It's this crazy. It's this natural action stuff. And, um, I'm, I'm totally sold on it. Cause I literally feel different when I drink this water regularly than when I'm drinking. So do you, do you have one of these in your house? Yes. It's, it's installed under my sink. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was just looking yeah. them up. Okay. Um, what about, uh, routines? 
talk to me about, so I'm, I'm a big routine guy. I, I like to talk to my guests about their morning routine or their evening sure. routine, because I really think that sets the day and the night up. So talk to me, tell me a little bit about your routine or some of the things that you help your clients do. Well, it's funny because I started doing more of my, like I, I go, I kind of go in and out of like my regimens, but generally speaking, I was going through some of my old notebooks and I was like, I'm going to start doing this again. And so I found a notebook that still had my morning routine list. So you oh. can't really see it because it's blurry. It is blurry. But yeah. God damn it. It's blurry. Hold on. Anyway. So <laughs> it's, it's anyway, small. so yeah. like, yeah, go ahead. Now, do I do everything on this routine every day? No, because some days I jump out of bed and I've got like emergencies to handle. But for the most part, what I like to do in the morning is wake up, meditate for 15 to 30 minutes, um, visualize how I want my day to go, um, do some loving kindness meditation, like do some affirmations. I've got this amazing little thing here from this company called intelligent change. And it's like, oh, I've heard of them. it's a great company. I'm obsessed with this mindful, mindful affirmations cards. And so it's got this little wood block and I pull like an affirmation card I'm like, okay, cool. That's a good way to start my day. I'm getting mm. healthier and more joyful every way, every day. Yes. And actually I had a really joyful day today. Um, and then um, if I have like, an... intense dream of some sort, I'll journal it. I'll definitely remember to write that down. Um, well, sometimes I won't depends on the day. Um, what Molly, I'm sorry, you cut, you cut out for one second. So you meditate, what else? I'm sorry. Yeah. So meditate affirmations, um, journal something, uh, and then, you know, make my bed, get some sunlight if I can. Um, and then, you know, like typically I'll make something very light before I go work out. So I'll make coffee. I'm, I was going, I, I was off of coffee for three, three months, while I was restoring my cortisol levels, but I'm back on coffee. So I'm making, I, I wasn't, I was like, I don't know what it was, but I was craving bulletproof coffee lately. And I was like, I don't know why I'm craving this, but I'm drinking it. And, I'm, and it's like making me really happy every day. Um, and then, uh, so typically what I'll do is I'll um, check the wall street journal and re- drink my coffee and eat, eat something small and then get dressed and go to the gym. I like, so usually I'll clean up the kitchen a little bit too. Um, and then walk to the gym, weight lift, walk back and then, um, take a shower and, um, start my day, you know? And like, I was starting my day earlier last year, but I just decided that I'm going to start my day later this year. Cause I want more relaxation and recovery. So I'm starting my day mostly around depending on the day, like Friday will be seven, but most, most of the days I'm trying to start my day around 10 instead of nine. Cause I just love having a nice long morning. Uh, and I like that space to like check my email and like, just get, get, get organized before I have a bunch of calls. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll usually like check in with my email, my calendar and everything. And then, um, I do like, if I am weightlifting, I'm going to eat a little bit more protein, either like a, a protein shake serving or not like a full shake, but like just drink some protein just cause you need to get like enough protein for that mitochondrial, uh, for the muscle protein synthesis. Um, and then I'll typically be on calls and podcasts for a few hours, eat some lunch, um, and then more calls and more podcasts. And, um, and then 
like last night was a really busy night because I had just tons of busy work to do. So I had dinner and then I went and I started doing a bunch of busy work, um, till like 10 PM. Um, but normally I try to like wind down. I mean, I think I, I started winding down around nine last night. So then I went to bed at 10. So my wind down routine was doing some reading, um, and washing my face, brushing my teeth, scraping my tongue, um, flossing. And then, you know, when you wash your face, you have to put your creams on or whatever. Um, but yeah, like then before I go to sleep, I like to think through like, what are things that I want to, what do I want to manifest in my life? You know? So I'm doing a lot of visualization and manifestation work right before bed and right before I wake up in the morning. So that's typically my day. I want to do more stretching in general. So that's one of my goals is do more yin yoga, but oh, yeah. yeah. Y- yin yoga. That's the even. that's the evening with like candlelights and stuff, right? Yeah. It's just like really yeah. deep, deep stretches and stuff. Um, just one more point on your, on your book, you talk about becoming resilient. Like, um, what, what, what do you mean about becoming, becoming resilient? What, what's, well, the thing is, is that resilience has a bunch of different definitions, right? So there's resilience to trauma. There's like post-traumatic growth. There's resilience as a, as a character quality. So as like a personality trait, which is largely associated with grit and persistence, And then there's resilience to things that you're challenged by and bouncing back after you get hit with a major challenge. So I literally had to sit, I like, I have a whole lecture on resilience that like Mm. breaks it down from like definitions to political literature. There's no real agreement on what resilience is, but generally speaking, um, people who have persist and people who have grit are more likely to to bounce back because they're more likely to focus on the long-term vision of their lives. So you have to be, you have to have a mindset of resilience. And that means that you have to realize like, yes, you're going to encounter challenges, but challenges can make you stronger or challenges can break you. And is, and, and the goal is to build as much health into your body so that you become resilient so that you don't get sick. So you do bounce back when you get hit with the big stressor. Yeah. Well, well, well said. And, um, and this is a question I always ask everyone that comes on, what, what tip or tips would you give someone that? maybe, you know, they wanted to get their body back to what it once was like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what one tip would you give that individual? Um, weightlifting, (laughs) weightlifting is everything. I mean, I just, I'm the guys at mind pump really taught me a lot years ago because I was like in decent shape, but I wasn't in like, um, I wasn't in amazing shape and my body can go in and out of shape very quickly. I can go from very voluptuous to very lean, like in a couple months. Um, but consistently I find that when I'm weightlifting, I'm the strongest. And I also love Ashtanga yoga, which is a form of weightlifting using your body weight. And it's a type of yoga, but you have to, your muscles are the organ of longevity. And so I just feel like if everybody were really strong, um, I mean, women are always afraid of weightlifting because they're like, I don't want to get bulky muscles, but like, it, you have to do serious bodybuilding to get bulky, bulky muscles. Like I've never got, I never got bulky when I was doing the most weightlifting last year. I just got lean and healthy, you know? Right. So yeah, I just think that like fitness is, is so key. It's the hardest thing to do, but you gotta, but if here's the thing, when I got into shape, it was not like an overnight thing. It was like, I seriously had chronic fatigue 10 years ago after I left my residency And I had been hit with a major infection and it knocked me on my ass. And I was not really, I didn't have any energy to do anything, 
but I knew I wanted to commit my, commit my life to health. And so I, I slowly, slowly started implementing exercise. I started with Feldenkrais. It's the super easiest exercise you can ever do. Nobody feel Feldenkrais. It's literally like laying on the ground and moving your legs very slowly. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's so easy that like, but what it did for me was it gave me something that I could feel like I could do. And then I started doing sauna instead of, instead of cardio, because I didn't have the energy to do cardio. And then I started doing kettlebells at home using apps on my phone. And then I started doing power blocks with beach body on demand. And then I joined a gym and like started dating this guy who taught me how to weightlift. And, um, and so I learned how to actually use pro- proper form and weightlifting. And then I started doing more running and exploring the farmer's markets of San Francisco by running to them. And then I started doing yoga and then I was like, whoa, I'm in shape, you know? And it, it wasn't that an overnight thing. This is over many years. And then the pandemic hit and I fortunately had access to gyms the entire time, but, um, I lost my yoga practice and it's really made a big difference in my flexibility. So I have to rebuild that yoga practice back in. So this is the week I'm, I'm starting, starting back on yoga, but, um, it's one of those things where like you, if you don't use it, you lose it. So my flexibility needs a lot of work and I used to be really, really good at yoga. So I'm slowly adding that back in. Um, but again, try to remember that fitness is not something that like, you you don't have to overnight start weightlifting. You can start with easy, easy, easy stuff and then accomplish that and then move on to the next thing. And so just start with whatever feels good. Don't start with whatever is intimidating. Start with the things that make you excited about exercise and like group sports are really fun. I want to start doing volleyball, you know, like I love, um, I love like group, group activities, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doing something that you're looking forward to is always, you know, in group sports is one of those. Um, well, this was great, Molly. What what's what's the best place for people to find you? Um, my website, drmolly.co, and my Instagram at drmolly.co. Okay, excellent. And we'll put uh, links in the show notes and uh, also for your book, uh, Spark Factor, which came out end of January, right? Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine, and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.